Hello there, and welcome to episode three of the Biome Podcast. I am Graham, your host, and this is the podcast all about zoology, ecology, and the natural world. Let's start today with a bit of fun. I have a question here about a certain creature. Let's see who can answer it. I will give a shout out to the first three people that send me an email naming this creature. Uh, make sure you include your name in the email as well as your answer. So let's get to the question. What animal can punch so hard that it'll boil water? Be sure to send your answers to questions at biome.media or you can go on to biome.media and use the contact form. Again, what animal can punch so hard that it will boil water? I just wanted to remind you that you can visit us on Biomedia and sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss a single episode or read our field notes while you're there. Without further ado though, let's see what's in store for today's Animal Spotlight. Welcome to the Animal Spotlight. Today we will be talking about the pangolin. Before we get into talking about the characteristics and what makes this animal so fascinating, we're going to start the section with some bad news as you can't really talk about the pangolin without mentioning it. The pangolin is currently believed to be the world's most trafficked or poached animal. Reported seizures between 2011 and 2013 found the estimated number between 100,000 and 250,000 pangolins were trafficked each year. This means that in the last decade, over 1 million pangolins are estimated to have been trafficked. In 2019 alone, an estimated 195,000 pangolins were trafficked according to the World Wildlife Fund. So just keep that in mind as we talk about the pangolins. The term pangolin refers to any of eight species of mammals found in Africa and Asia. Also known as scaly anteaters, they are insectivores covered in protective scales made from keratin. That's the same material that human um, hairs, nails, and even rhino horns are made from. These fascinating creatures can range in size from between 30 to 100 centimeters, or 12 to 39 inches. Pangolins mainly eat ants and termites, which they may supplement with various other invertebrates, including bee larvae, flies, worms, earthworms and crickets. This specialist diet makes them extremely difficult to maintain in captivity and they often reject unfamiliar um, insects uh, or become ill when fed foreign food. They have massive front claws with which they attack the mounds of hard-packed earth and other hiding places where these tasty little morsels, at least in their mind, uh, live. 
To help them catch their prey, they have an extremely long tongue, which in some species can even grow to a length of 40 centimeters, which is 16 inches. When paired with a sticky saliva, this long tongue helps them fish out the ants and termites from their tunnels. Unlike other mammals, the tongue is not anchored to the hyoid bone. The hyoid bone is a little bone that is situated just behind the thyroid cartilage. The thyroid cartilage is what gives people the prominent structure known as the Adam's apple. The hyoid bone though is, has a lot of other functions and while anchoring the tongue in most mammals is one of these functions, others include helping to anchor the larynx which is the part of the body that protects you from choking and gives you the ability to speak. We will be talking about this little skeletal marvel in another episode though, so back to the pangolin's tongue which, to remind you, is not anchored to the hyoid bone, like a lot of other mammals. Instead, it is anchored far below that, between the sternum and the trachea, which allows it to protrude so far out of the mouth. Pangolins have an insatiable appetite for insects. It gives them an important role in their ecosystem, which is pest control. Estimates indicate that one adult pangolin can consume more than 70 million insects annually. Pangolins have a special muscle that seals their nostrils and their ears shut, protecting them from the attacking insects, for example, um, ant bites or uh, termite bites. They also have special muscles in their mouths which prevent ants and termites from escaping after capture. As mentioned previously, pangolins feed mainly on ants and termites. Their strong front claws are perfect for ripping apart uh, the anteals and termite mounds. The saliva is also sticky which allows the ants and termites to stick to the tongue and get pulled back into the mouth. Pangolins, however, do not chew their food prior to swallowing. The large reason for this is because they don't actually have teeth. Instead, they swallow their prey whole and then they have an adapted stomach that acts much like a gizzard does in a bird. The pangolins eat small stones throughout their life that are stored in the stomach which allows the ants and termites to be ground up among the stones much like seeds are in birds gizzards. The stomach can even have keratinous spines that help grind the stones on each other to break up the hard exoskeletons of the food. Each paw of a pangolin's foot has five toes and their four feet have three long curved claws used to demolish the nests of termites and ants and to dig nesting and sleeping burrows. Pangolins shuffle on all four limbs balancing on the outer edges of their four feet and tucking their four claws underneath as they walk to protect them. They can run surprisingly fast though and will often rise on their hind limbs to sniff the air. Ca pangolins are also capable swimmers and while some pangolin species such as the ground pangolin are adept climbers, using their claws and semi-prehensile tails to grip bark and scale trees, there are also um, arboreal pangolins or tree-dwelling 
climbing pangolins, as well as terrestrial or earth-dwelling. There are two species of African terrestrial pangolins, and there are two arboreal species of pangolins in Africa. The arboreal species have extremely long prehensile tails. This means that they can use the tail as an extra limb to hold onto branches while climbing trees. The critically endangered Chinese pangolin uh, also has a prehensile tail, as does the Palawan or Philippine pangolin and the Sander pangolin. Pangolins do have the ability to dig deep burrows for sleeping and nesting that contain circular chambers. Some large chambers have been discovered in terrestrial pangolin burrows that are big enough for a human to not only crawl inside but stand up in. Some pangolin species, such as the small sander pangolin, also sleep in hollows and forks of trees and logs. Being as small as they are, obviously they would be on the menu of a lot of other animals. To counter this, they curl up into a ball as a defensive strategy, presenting their hardened scales to the threat while protecting their softer areas, like their face and underbelly. Unfortunately, Curling into a ball and remaining where you are isn't a very good defensive strategy against humans. Another part of their defensive strategy is that they produce a terrible smelling fluid from their anal glands similar to that of a skunk. In few, as few predators would want to breathe that in while trying to get past their protective scales, it is a pretty decent strategy against other species of wildlife. Males and female pangolins differ in weight. Uh, in most species, males are 10 to 50% heavier than the females. The pangolins reach sexual maturity at about two years, and most pangolins give birth to a single offspring, although two and three young have been reported in the Asian species. When born, pangolins are about six inches long and weigh about 12 ounces or 0.75 pounds. The scales are soft and white, um, which is probably a good thing for the mothers when they're born, and they actually begin to harden by the second day. Pangolin mothers nurture their young in nesting burrows. A mother will protectively roll around her baby when sleeping or if uh, she is threatened. Babies nurse for about three to four months and they but they can eat termites and ants at about one month old infant pangolins will ride on the base of the mother's tail as she forages for insects so they're always around all eight species of pangolins are listed as threatened due to extreme black market trading and poaching the flesh and scales are used in traditional asian medicine and they are currently listed as the most trafficked animal in the world that's it for today's animal profile. I will try to make the next animal spotlight a little bit more upbeat. Until then, let's have a look and talk about some technical zoology concepts. Hello there and welcome to the technical section of the third episode. Today we'll be talking about something that's sort of related to pangolins, but probably not. 
Uh, today we will be talking about horns and antlers. What is the difference? Where are they found? And any other interesting facts about them? So, before there are any comments, no, pangolins do not have horns or antlers. But if you are able to figure out how horns are related to pangolins before I mention it a little later, that's brilliant and please let me know. Without further ado though, what are horns and antlers? Collectively, they are termed cranial appendages. They are prominent features in many large ungulates. Ungulates are a diverse group of predominantly large hoofed mammals. It's broken down into two groups, the perissodactyla, which means odd-toed ungulates, and the artiodactyla, which means even-toed ungulates. Some examples of the perissodactyla or odd-toed ungulates are horses, rhinos, and tapirs, which are those odd-looking forest-dwelling animals from Malaysia and um, South America. Examples of artiodactyla would be North American deer, including the whitetail, elk, moose, and caribou, as well as antelope from Asia and Africa. Pigs, cattle, sheep, and goats are also listed under artiodactyla since they have cloven hooves, which means that they stand on two toes. Artiodactyla also technically includes the cetaceans like whales and dolphins, even though they don't have hooves. Genetic testing puts them in a group in the group though as they are genetically related. Now, back to horns and antlers. Horns and antlers are currently used for the same thing. They're both used for defense against predators and in defending the animal's interests with regards to food or mating. With the exception of caribou, also known as reindeer, antlers are only found in males of the cervidae family. The cervidae family consists of deer, from the whitetail, elk, moose, caribou, to the red deer and the other deers of Europe. They are only around for part of the year, the antlers, not the deer. This is because antlers are shed annually. That has to do with the hormones of the male, but they are most prominent during mating. Also known as the rutting season. The antlers uh, grow from the frontal bone and actually grow on a flat surface called a pedicel. The antlers start growing around March or April and grow quite quickly. They are a special spongy type of bone covered in furry skin called velvet. Velvet is also full of blood vessels to provide the newly growing bone with as much nourishment as possible to have it grow as fast as possible. As antlers end near the end of the growing process however, right before the rutting season starts, the spongy bone is replaced with compact bone and the velvet starts to die. This means that it starts to slough off as the males rub the velvet against trees. Since the velvet is full of blood though, you can imagine that the process is very messy. It's also part of the reason antlers are colored the way they are, due to dried blood stains on the bone, as well as um, the trees and sap that are rubbed into the antlers while the animal is trying to remove the velvet they also add to the brownish color of the antlers uh, 
During the breeding season, the antlers are used for territorial fights as well as to attract the females. When the breeding season ends, the male's hormones crash and the pedicels lose calcium which detaches the antlers and they fall off. If you've seen any pictures of antlers on a deer, you can clearly tell where the pedestal ends it's the part that's actually connected to the head and the antler begins because there is a deep line where that point um, where those two points join um, as for so as the pedestal as the hormones crash the pedestals lose calcium which detach the antlers and they fall off at this point you are at about early to midwinter then in extremely late winter to very early spring, the males start growing the next set of antlers. Each year, the antlers are larger than the previous year, giving the males more chance to mate as his ranking goes up compared to the new youngsters. Currently, most of your horn species, so we're moving on from antlers to the horn species. Currently, most of your horn species are found in your giraffe, your bovids, and your pronghorn antelopes from North America. Both the giraffe and the pronghorn, though, are slightly different when it comes to horns, so we'll talk about them separately in a few minutes. Bovids, however, are your cows, your buffaloes, as well as your antelope, sheep. Um, in a biological sense, horns are an outgrowth of bone on the frontal bone as uh, in the skull of the animal. The frontal bone is located at the top of the skull, which means that horns are on the top of the skull. In this fact, they are similar to antlers, but that's pretty much where the similarities end. Horns are not shed annually and will instead grow for most of the animal's life. They can also be found on both male and female of many species. Generally speaking, though, there is sexual dimorphism between the horns, which means that there is a difference between the two genders, the horns of the two genders. The males are generally larger and have a thicker base than the females. The main difference with horns um, compared to antlers, though, is the composition. Horns do not grow on a pedestal. Instead, the bone continues to grow. Around the bone grows a thick layer of keratin, which happens to be the same compound that forms humans, nails, hairs, and yes, even the scales of pangolins. Another difference between horns and antlers is that antlers are branched while horns aren't. They might be straight like the oryx or twisted like the kudu, but they are never branched. Giraffes now have a lot of similarities to horns. They have the bone core called ossicones. They are different to regular horns in the sense that there is no keratin sheath though. The ossicones are highly vascularized as well and are covered in skin constantly. They also don't have, they also aren't as prominent as regular horns on most other antelope. Pronghorns are a little bit even, are a little bit more curious though as their horns seem to be halfway between that of deer and antelope. Their horns are branched, unlike antelope. However, they don't shed their horns like deer. Instead, they only shed the keratin sheath, which grows back annually. The bone core does not get shed. 
So far, all the species we have spoken about are ruminants. This means these species have multi-chambered stomachs to help them digest the plant material that they eat. It also means that all of the species we have spoken about are related in some way. But if we look at rhinos, however, they're currently the only extant, meaning living, species outside of ruminants to have horns. But they are very different, so let's touch on those. Firstly, unlike either horns or antlers, the rhino horn does not have a bone core. The rhino horn is in fact, a, is in fact keratin throughout. The keratin grows similar to your fingernail in that it is attached to the bone and adapted follicles extrude it. It also doesn't come from the frontal bone in the skull like regular horns or antlers. Instead, it is attached to the nasal bone. Being attached to the nasal bone means that the horn isn't paired like regular horns and antlers. Some rhinos admittedly do have two horns, granted, but the second smaller horn is then attached to the frontal bone. This means that they could have one horn attached to the nasal bone and one horn attached to the frontal bone. So again, they are not paired. Horns and antlers, though, are fascinating characteristics of animals and they make for great predator and territorial protection, but also allow the females to choose a mate. So join us next episode as we dive into another topic in the world of zoology or ecology and explore it in detail. Well, that is it for this episode of the Biome Podcast. Again, I would like to invite you to visit www.biome.media and sign up for the newsletter. We have some great things in the works and this way you are guaranteed not to miss any announcements. Also, remember to answer the first animal trivia question at the beginning of the episode and send your answer to questions at biome.media or visit us again on www.biome.media and use the contact page to let us know your answer. Until next episode, stay safe and always remember to ask questions. It is the basis of science after all.